I am eager, eager to preach the word. So if you guys can grab your copies of God's word and meet me in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is where we'll be today. This is our last uh, week of a standalone sermon. A standalone uh, sermon just means it's not connected to any part of a series. Um, you guys know us here that we, are, we try our best to go faithfully through what the scriptures have to say. Uh, and we will eventually be back into a book of the Bible. We just finished up the book of Jonah, uh, finished up Colossians at the beginning of the year. In the beginning of next year, we will be jumping into 1 Peter. And so I am excited about that. But until then, there are some standalones. We actually have the Red Letter series. If you guys have questions of what that, it seems a little bit self-explanatory, but if you have questions on what that means, that means we are going to go through the words of Jesus Christ normally in uh, some of your Bibles. Not all translations do it, but many of the translations highlight Jesus' words in red. And so we'll go through only for four weeks, we'll go through in the month of November just what the words of Jesus are. And so I'm excited about that. And then after that, that'll lead us right into December. And in December, we will go through a series on Advent, which means the coming of Christ as we prepare for Christmas. And so um, if you guys can be on the lookout for our new sermon series as we walk through what the scriptures say. Okay, um, we'll be in verses 97 to 104. If you could meet me there, Psalms 119. You guys know how we'll do. I'll, I'll read, I'll announce our theme, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive in and literally go verse by verse. Let me read. Verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Underline that word or circle that word, you. That becomes very important uh, as we get to that scripture, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than the honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understandings. Therefore, I hate the false way. I want to preach from a topic entitled, The Word of God is Sufficient. The Word of God, the scriptures are sufficient. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the ability to gather this morning. Thank you for this, this covenant community class that, um, that joined in and said, man, I, I want to participate in your mission through uh, being a part of a church where I am held accountable, where I am serving, and where I am prayerfully growing to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Father, this morning we do gather around your word in hopes that you will speak to us. I love what the writer says, that you have taught us. And today I pray that you would teach all of us in this room. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every single word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so today we don't come um, thinking that the word of God is just some textbook. We don't come gathering out around the word just to gain information, but we come gathering out around the words because we want to hear from you. We pray that you would speak to us through what you've already spoken in your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I set out to, uh, when I started to sense a calling to plant Epiphany Church here in Brooklyn, um, 
there were three main areas that I was praying that the Lord would really burn the hearts of our church and really mark our church after. One of them is, um, is that we will be a church that's marked after real love for Jesus Christ, which is why every song you sing, we sing, you see is about Jesus Christ. The word that we preach from the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, are all finding their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And that's why every single Sunday we try to gather to do communion because we believe that Jesus is central. So I wanted our church, a first mark, Lord, mark us to be people that actually look like Jesus and are serious about the centrality of Jesus. The second mark that I was praying for was that we be a church that's marked for covenant community. What I mean by that is that we be a church that's marked by real, genuine, biblical community, seeing God's body come together and actually be in relationship. The third thing, and, and, and that's kind of what I want to deal with with our time today, the third area I was praying that our church would be marked by is a genuine love for the Word of God. A genuine love, which is why we try to go through books of the Bible and not skip anything because I pray that through our times together and through your small groups and through our Bible studies that there will be times of refreshment through the Word. Now, our church personally believes if you look on our website and look at our, our beliefs, you'll see one of them is the belief in the scriptures. We don't preach from any other book. I would never get up here and preach from the Quran. I would never get up here and preach from, I know some of y'all are like, you better not get up there and preach from the Quran. I would never preach from a book of poems. I'd never preach from a good idea book, you know, just for life. We find all we need in the scriptures. And at this church, we believe that the word of God is inerrant. What I mean by the inerrancy of the scriptures, that means that the word of God is perfect and it's without error. We do not find contradictions in the scriptures. We also believe that the word of God is infallible. So when I say infallible, that means not only is it perfect and it's without error, but it's incapable of error. We also believe in the inspiration of the scriptures. What does that mean? That means that we believe that God divinely inspired over 40 different authors to write the Bible. Did you guys realize that there's over 40 different authors that put their pen to paper under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures? We believe that the word of God is God breathed. Now, the, the, the area that our generation struggles with is that the word of God, we don't, I mean, we're, some of us are okay with the fact that the word of God is infallible, that it's inerrant, that it's inspired by God. Here's where we struggle, that it's sufficient for all that we need in life. Here's how you know if you're trusting that the Bible is sufficient. You know you're trusting it when hard times hit. Where do you run for counsel, for support, for encouragement? Do you run to a therapist or do you first run to the scriptures? Now, I'm not saying don't run to your friends and I'm not saying don't run to a therapist, but I'm saying the first thing we should do is run to the word of God. Why? Because the scriptures tell us that they are sufficient for all we need in life and godliness. Wayne Grudem wrote a book called Systematic Theology. He defines the sufficiency of Scripture as this. He says the sufficiency of Scripture means that the Scriptures contain all of the words of God intended, his, intended for his people to have at each stage in redemptive history and that it now contains all of the word of God we need for salvation, 
for trusting him perfectly and for obedience. Hear me, we need to look no further than the word of God in order to find what to do in life. So I, I know you're like, well, how is the Bible? You know, there's some things in the Bible that just are confusing. This is why we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, not my teaching, but what the scriptures have to say. And it's important for us to be taught that. So Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my favorite theologians from the 1800s, said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And that is what I pray that our church would be marked after as a church that lives in the Bible. So Psalms 119, if you know anything about Psalms 119, it is the longest chapter in all of Scripture. 176 verses are in Psalm 119. Here's the interesting thing about Psalm 119. Only three of them do not talk about the word of God. 173 verses in Psalm 119 all talk about the word of God and make some type of reference to the word of God. Psalms uh, 119 has 22 sections. So it's 176 verses has 22 sections is what they're divided in or stanzas. Each section has eight verses to it. The ones that we're reading today and that we're in is part of a prayer. But the interesting thing about this prayer is that this is a petitionless prayer, meaning the writer asks God for nothing. He doesn't ask God for one thing in our prayer. All eight verses we just read, none of them have. He's talking to God. He's praying to God. But he just wants to show his adoration, his love, and his affection, and his devotion to the word of God. When's the last time we prayed that type of a prayer? Where we don't ask God for anything. We just tell God, man, I just, I'm in love with your word. I'm in love with the words of God. And so the first verse that we read, Psalms 97, is clear, and it gives us really a picture of what the other eight verses talk about. Let me show you. At Psalms 97, look how he starts out. He immediately makes this clear. First six words, oh, how I love your law. Notice that he doesn't say, oh, how I read your law. He doesn't say, oh, how I obey your law. He doesn't say, oh, how I proclaim your law. He doesn't say, oh, how I believe your law. He goes deeper than external application and talks about a real affection from the heart. Oh, how I love your words. Can, can we say that in this room? That I genuinely love the word of God. I'm, I'm not asking if you read it. I'm not asking if you memorized it. I'm not asking you if you have a t-shirt with a scripture on it or a coffee mug with a scripture on it. What I'm asking you, does it go deeper? Does it penetrate your heart? The writer here is penetrated to the heart and he says, man, listen, I love the word. And when you love the word of God, it will inform how you proclaim it. When you love the word of God, it will, it will inform how you obey it and it will inform how you live. The word of God is active and it's alive and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And so I hope that there is people in here that can join the writer here. And we don't know who the writer is. Some say it's David, some say it's Daniel, and some say it's Ezra. We don't know. But what we don't know about the writer does not stop us from understanding the text. Here's what we know if we read all of Psalms 119, that the writer loved the word. He was serious about the word. And what I love about this, this, this first six words, oh, how I love your law, is that the first six words lend itself to, under, to, to, to understanding that this isn't 
a prayer for anybody else. He's not commanding anybody else to love the word. That would have absolutely been appropriate, but he's not commanding anybody. He's not saying to his family members, you should love it. He's not saying to his friends, you should love it. He's talking about a personal testimony that he loves the word of God. And not only is this a personal testimony, but it's a very present testimony as well. Notice he doesn't say, I loved the word. So he's not looking back at a time that he used to love it. He's not looking forward at a time where he will love it. He doesn't allow circumstances to sway whether he loves the word of God or not. This is a present testimony right now. I love the word. And if you read all of Psalm 119, you will see that over and over again, he's had plots. He's had slanders. He's had taunts. He's had persecution. He's had afflictions. Everything was not going well. In fact, if you read Psalm 19, go back to verse 28. He says, my soul melts away in sorrow. And so the writer of Psalm 119 didn't have all good days, but he did not allow his circumstances to sway his love for the word of God. See, many of us in here love the word and we'll say, man, I love it as long as it's promising me blessings and favor. But the question is, can you love it when everything in your, in your world is rocked and everything is not going well? Can you still love the word of God? Then the writer here in the midst of saying, man, my world is going crazy. There's plots and there's slanders. I have enemies. Yet all I can think about is my affections for the word of God. Has the Bible ever got at you? Like, have you ever read the Bible and walked away and said, man, that hurt? I remember I was reading Ephesians chapter four and I was preparing for a sermon that I was going to preach at another church a few years ago. And when I was preparing for this sermon, I got to verse 29 where it says, let no corrupt talk out of your mouth. And I literally had to stop the sermon prep. The Lord was getting at me because I realized that week I was gossiping. Has the word ever got you like that? Or do we walk away and say, man, every time I read the word, it just encourages me and it helps me and it makes me have joy. Sometimes you should walk away with an attitude and you should say, man, the Lord is really getting at me. But the writer in Psalms 119 does not allow his, his, his affections to be swayed by what is going on in his life. Look at what his love allow, uh, pushes him to do. In verse 97, oh, how I love your law. Look at this. It is my meditation all the day. Notice he didn't say I love your law, so therefore I memorized it. His love caused him to think about the word. So he's not some hermit that's sitting in a room that's just meditating on the word. No, as he goes through life, he lets the word of God bear its full weight on his decisions, on his, on his conversations, on his attitude. How many of us go through our day and don't think anything about the word? Like We have more of an attitude when we leave our phone home. We have more of an attitude if we get a flat, but how many people will have an attitude and say, you know what? I haven't gotten the word today. I haven't read my word today. So his love caused him to think about the word. I love my wife, wife and there are times where I could be sitting in a meeting and think about her and I'll shoot her a text. That's how the word should be, if not more. As we're just sitting in a meeting, going through life, what you read, what you're chewing on, you should be meditating on. This means it, it may be appropriate not to read large chunks of scripture in the morning. Maybe there's one verse that you can't get out of your mind all 
day. He says the word of God. I love it. And it, it allows me to think about it. Now, verse 97 really is the launch pad for verses 98 to 104. The reason I say that is because his love is demonstrated really in, in the next three verses. He gives three reasons why he loves the word. And in these three reasons, we get a comparison. Let's walk through this together. Verse 98. First reason he said he loves the word. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. First note that your love for the word of God doesn't exempt you from having enemies. He still had enemies. See, how many of us think, man, I've watched that preacher on TBN and he said, man, if I just give my life to Jesus, I, everything will be great. No, the writer here just said, man, I love the word. 98, man, it makes me wiser than my enemies. Underneath that, what he's saying is I have enemies. And that is very, very clear. Now, the enemies that he had, if you read through all of Psalm 119, and I encourage you to do that. If you read through Psalm 119, he had some enemies, but I would go so far as to say this verse is not simply talking about physical enemies. Yes, the word of God is able. So I don't have to stay up at night and think about what my next move is over my enemy. No, the word of God keeps me 10 steps ahead. So I, so I don't have to stay up at night, lose sleep thinking about my enemies. But the, the, the enemy that he's talking about here is not just a physical enemy. The enemy that he's talking about here can go so far as a spiritual enemy, namely Satan. If you read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Like your worst enemy is not your haters. Your worst enemy is not the person that you're going back and forth on Facebook with. Your worst enemy is Satan himself. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So if I'm understanding this text right, it's saying that the word of God makes me wiser than even Satan himself. Right, we play around with Satan. John 10, 10, Jesus says that the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. He doesn't come to hurt you. He comes to kill. He doesn't come to mess over you. He comes to destroy. He doesn't come to borrow. He comes to steal. And so when I read this scripture, it says, man, it keeps me 10 steps ahead of even Satan himself that I can rejoice in. Even Jesus used the word of God to stay ahead of Satan. When you read Matthew chapter four, Jesus is in the wilderness and he's confronted by the enemy. And what does he do? He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't send out a Facebook post putting him on blast with a subliminal message. He simply gives him three verses out of Deuteronomy. Three verses is what, the, what Jesus used to combat the enemy. Yet, we don't want to use the word of God. And we don't have just three verses. We got 66 books. Like we got 39 chapters in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. We have 1,189 chapters. We got from Genesis 1 to Revelations 22, all inspired by God. Jesus used three and we got 1,189 chapters. Yet we don't use the word of God in order to fight against the enemy. And so he will, you will have enemies, namely Satan himself. But guess what? He is defeated. And, and that's what I love about the word. See, I can use the word to fight against Satan because the scriptures already tell me that he's going to be crushed. We've been going in our Bible studies through 
uh, through Genesis, trying to make our way through the entire Bible. We're actually up to Genesis 11 now. And, and so the first time we gathered together, we were in Genesis 1 and 2, the only two passages, the only two scriptures, uh, the only two chapters that show man in a perfect state. From three on, we're just jacked up. And so if you look at chapter three, the first seven verses tell us that Adam and Eve fall. The promise to Adam in verse, number, in verse number 15 of chapter 3, was not just the forgiveness of Adam's sin, but was the overcoming of Adam's enemy, the Satan, Satan himself. Remember, Jesus, remember the scripture says, you're going, he's going to, he's going to uh, uh, bruise your heel, but you're going to crush his head. And so I can use the word to crush Satan's head because the scriptures already tell me that he is going to be defeated. And so the first reason why the writer, the psalmist, loves the word of God is because it makes him wiser than his enemy. What's the second reason? Verse number 99 tells us the second reason. <clears throat> second reason that he loves the word of God. Verse 99 says, I have more understanding than all of my teachers for your testimonies on my meditation. He just said, Get this on your mind. I have more understanding than my teachers. He did not say that I know more than my teachers. That indeed would be an arrogant statement. That would be uh, of some youthful boastfulness that doesn't really make sense. He's not saying I know more than my teachers. He's saying I have more understanding. What he's talking about is insight when he says I have more understanding. Charles Spurgeon once again says, we may hear the wisest teachers and remain fools. But if we meditate upon the sacred word, we must become wise. There is more wisdom, listen to this, in the testimonies of the Lord than in all the teachings of men. If they were all gathered into one vast library, the book of book, books outweighs them all. The holy scriptures make us wiser than even our teachers. Is that not good news? And so you ever met that person that just knows a bunch of stuff about everything? Just a bunch of information. They know, they can tell you the size, the measurement of the Grand Canyon. They can tell you Einstein's theory of relativity. They can tell you all this stuff, but have no comment. There's no wisdom based in the word. It's insight is what Jesus is talking about. Remember when Jesus was with the boys, he was with his disciples in, he, in Matthew 16, and he, and he says to them, who do men say I am? They foolishly answer. Some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's not information. That's insight. That's understanding. How do I know that? Because Jesus responds and says, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That's understanding. That's insight. So the word of God doesn't make you just have a bunch of information. The word of God helps you. This is Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. This is insight that we have. And so we can claim to be wiser or have more understanding than our teachers. And that is not an arrogant statement. I don't know more but I do have more understanding because I understand the word of God. And so the first one, he says, man, you're wiser than your enemies. The second one, he says, you're wiser than even teachers. Look at what the third one is. Psalms 100. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. When he's talking about the age, in ancient culture, they would have had high honor 
and, and really saw older, the elderly, old, older people with gray hair, they would have saw them just like our culture as wise. But the truth of the matter is you can have gray hair and not be wise. Experience is not always the best teacher. Sometimes the people are like, I have 25 years of experience. Well, the truth is they have one year of experience and keep repeating the same mistakes. 25 years. And so experience is not always the best teacher. Gray hair doesn't, well, in, in, in your case, Ron, you're wise. I'm just saying. Experience always isn't the best teacher. And so what we see in the scripture is that the word of God, the thing that culture would have said makes us wise, the writer of Psalms says, no, the word of God makes me wiser than what culture says makes you wise. Culture says being elderly makes you wise, but the scriptures is what makes us wise. And if you, you don't have to wait till you have gray hair and you're old and you're retired to be considered wise. If you need wisdom, James 1.5 says, listen, if you lack wisdom, ask God. And then it says that he gives it generously. You can ask God for wisdom. And so when I read this, it says, man, I understand more than the age. I understand. I have more insight and wisdom than enemies. I have more understanding than my teachers. And I understand more. I have more wisdom than the aged. Look at the B part of 100. For I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. It almost seems that the psalmist almost seemed to suggest that wisdom is not just based on a bunch of information, but the psalmist seems to suggest when he says, for I keep your precepts, that wisdom is based on what we do with the information we have. You're not wise because you know a bunch. I don't even care if you know a whole bunch of scripture. You're not wise because you know a lot. You're wise because you walk out what you know. You're wise because not because you've taken notes and you've took a picture of Psalms 119 and Facebook that no, you're wise when you actually live out Psalm 119. Jesus says this as well in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be wise. Jesus defined wisdom as application of the word, not simply information. And so if we're walking out of here and we're saying, man, listen, I understand because I got a bunch of information. I'm wise. No, you don't have to have a bunch. of. You can have a little information and apply that and be considered wise. Matthew 28 also deals with this in the Great Commission. He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded. Wisdom is based on the observation, observing, obeying what the scriptures have to say. Let's continue to go through this because what I don't want us to do is walk away and say, you know what? Obedience is easy. Keeping the precepts of God is easy. Even the writer here understands that there's a struggle and it's hard to be obedient. Look at what he says in verse, in chapter, uh, in verse number 101. He says, I hold back my feet or I restrain my feet from the evil way in order to keep your word. This is interesting because what he's really, when he says hold back, he's saying I restrain my, my feet. He realizes that there is an evil way. And if I'm not holding back my, my feet, if I'm not um, showing self-discipline, I'll be on that evil way. And so the scriptures keep us off the wrong path. And truth of the matter is, all of us in this room are prone to wander. 
Like you, you don't have to be taught how to wander. It's ingrained in you to go left. It's, it's ingrained in you not to stay on the path. We have to be, this is why he said you taught me. We have to be taught how to stay on the path. We don't have to be taught how to get off. He says, listen, man, I got to hold back my feet from wandering. It's almost like we, we think that we would be, in, in, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives three parables. And in these three parables, he talks about, uh, the first parable, he talks about a lost sheep. And in this lost sheep, he makes it clear that 99 stayed and one strayed away. We read that and seem to think we'll be in the 99 that stayed. When the truth of the matter is over and over and over again in our life, we're the one that goes left. And when we go left, Jesus is always there. He doesn't beat us up when, when he comes to get us. Scripture says that the shepherd goes and he finds that one and he throws it on his shoulders. We are that one. You are that one. You're not in that 99. But the beauty is that he will leave the 99. And so he says, listen, I'll hold back my feet from the evil way. Now, Psalm 101 and Psalm 102 show attention. Let me show you the tension. So 101, he says, the word of God is able to keep me off the wrong path. In Psalm 102, he shows us that the word of God not only keeps us off the wrong path, but it keeps us on the right one. Psalm 102, I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. So the Bible just says, man, listen, there's a bad path. And if you don't hold back your feet, you'll be on it. But the scriptures not only keep you off that path, but it also keeps us on the right one. The content here in Psalm 119, it's very, very clear. I just said 173 verses all talk about the word of God. It's very clear that the psalmist devoted his life 100% to the word of God. But what I love about this passage, at least this text, Psalm 102, when he says, you have taught me, he does not, the evidence of his obedience to the word is not necessarily found in the fact that he knew the scriptures, but he roots it in what he doesn't know. He says, you have taught me. None of us come to the scriptures as teachers. All of us come to the scriptures as students. None of us graduate this class while on earth of just being able to overcome all of the scriptures. I got it all down packed. I don't have to read it. I don't have to devote my life to it. I can just put it to the side. No, you have to devote your life to it because you don't realize how much you don't know. I don't care if you can spout out predestination. You can talk to us about total depravity and unconditional election and limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. I don't care if you can walk through deep theology with us. Hear me. All of us in this room approach the word as students. I don't care if you have a degree, a PhD in the Bible, you are a student of the word and Jesus is always our teacher. So the scripture says, you have taught me. Notice something else in this verse. I ask you to circle you. The reason I ask you to circle you is because what this does is it affirms for us the authority of scripture. Keep in mind, I said that this is a prayer. This is a prayer that he's praying to God. So when he says, you have taught me, he's not saying a friend has taught me. He's not saying a buddy has taught me. He's saying you, talking to God, you have taught me. So when I read the scriptures, it's God breathed. It's God himself teaching us. Like, do we approach the scriptures like that? 
Like the scriptures are sacred to the fact that they are authoritative. It is God's word for you. That is what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, you have taught me. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for correction, for reproof, and for instructions in righteousness. We can trust the word and devote our life to the word because not just anybody wrote it, but this is the word of God. This is God's very, God's very word that is inspired through 40 different authors. You have taught me. And when we approach the scriptures, that is what we should think. Let's keep going. Verse 103. He says, how sweet are your words. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I love this because, again, he shows us a personal uh, relationship with God. He says, your words are sweet, sweet words to my taste and sweeter than honey to my mouth. He's not saying, he's saying, listen, if it is not sweet for anybody else, it's sweet for me. Sweet honey was the, that was the sweetest thing in ancient time that they would have known to taste. They didn't have like sugar, like, no, honey was the sweetest thing that this writer would have known. He is saying right here, God himself, when it says taste, it's talking about the palate. He's saying God himself is my satisfaction. What satisfies you? And when we're, see, when we're hungry, that's, my mother used to say, man, listen, when you're hungry, that's the worst time to go to the store. Your mother ever said that to you? Because you'll pick up a bunch of stuff that you do not need. And you ever go to the store hungry, you're supposed to be in the produce aisle, and you're in the cookie aisle, and you're snacking. I don't know if y'all do that. I crack the bag right open in the, in the store, and I give them the empty bag at the end. He, he's saying in this verse that God himself satisfies us. I don't have to be, when you go spiritually hungry, you end up picking up stuff that you don't need. And there's a bunch of malnutrition Christians because we don't get in the word, but we attach ourselves to so many other things. One night I was leaving out of this building and I was by myself and I was locking up. Anybody that knows me knows I do not like fast food. I don't like McDonald's. I like it. I just can't eat it. Uh, McDonald's, uh, Wendy's, Burger King, Chick-fil-A is not fast food. That's like redeemed. Like, I, I, th I think when we get to heaven, I think there's going to be a little Chick-fil-A right outside the gates before you get in. I, I think it's going to be something there. And we, we're going we're gonna to be able to get us to number seven with cheese on our way into the gates. And so I don't like fast food. I just don't eat it. I try to be disciplined. It just kills me. I don't like the way it makes me feel. But one night I was leaving out of here. And I was locking up, and I think the devil sent the east wind from over that way, and I started to smell McDonald's fries. I was hungry this night. My wife cooked, but I couldn't even wait. I live 0.5 miles away. I could not wait to get home. And so this is a confession to you guys, because I know I've told many of y'all, don't eat McDonald's. One night, I made my way right on into the drive-through of McDonald's, and, and, and I, I was like, like, like Pookie in New Jack City. Remember when he had the crack pipe and he was crying? That's, that's what I look like in the drive-through. And so I'm going through the drive-through, and I promise I didn't get a meal. I just got some fries. Okay, I got them supersized. I'm just saying, I was hungry this night, and I paid for it. By the time I got home, I was sick. And all night, my stomach was killing me. And so what you see in the scriptures is, is the writer saying, listen, when you're hungry, you'll reach out for McDonald's. You're spiritual, I'm telling you, your spiritual walk, if you feed off of McDonald's and never eat new, the nutrients of the word, you will be sick. 
And it's amazing because sick people never like stuff that's good. Like a sick person will never want to take his medicine because it just don't taste good. But you're sick and you need it. The scripture says, listen, how sweet are your words to my taste. The word of God satisfies us. It satisfies that deep longing in our lives. Let's keep going and finish up here. 104. Through your words, through your precepts, scriptures, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Notice that in in verse 97, he started out by saying, I love. By the time we get to verse 104, he's talking about what he hates. And what he hates is not the consequence of the false way. He hates the false way itself. See, most of us in here, we, we hate the consequence of the sin, but we don't actually hate the sin itself. When you devote your life to the word of God, you will start to see that you hate the very nature of what sin is. You don't hate the fact that you got caught, but you hate the fact that you were entangled in any type of sin. So he says, listen, I love the word. He ends by saying, your word is, it makes me hate the false way. Here's why, as we end our time, here's why I love the word. Because it points me to Jesus Christ. And when I say it points me to Jesus, I mean not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But even the Old Testament points me to Jesus. Remember Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5, he says, you search the scriptures because in the scriptures you think you find life, but these are the very scriptures that testify about me. What scriptures was he talking about? The New Testament wasn't even completed yet. He's talking about the Old Testament. In other words, I can understand, read, love, appreciate, and devote my life to all of the scriptures because all of the scriptures talk to me about Jesus. And not just about Jesus in some fake, some, some fictitious way, but it talks to me about the redemptive plan of Jesus. It talks to me about, remember I said Genesis 3 and the rest of the verses and the rest of the chapters talk to us about our own sin? Well, it also, the rest of the scriptures also talks to us about the redeeming work of Christ to cover your sin. Not to cover it in some way that I don't want anybody to know about it and so I'm going to hide their sin. No, the scriptures are clear. Listen, we're sinful people. Remember I preached from Ephesians chapter 3 a couple of weeks ago and the first three verses of Ephesians 3 said we were dead in our sins and we, in which we once all walked in it. And verse number 3 says by nature we're all children of wrath. If you keep reading down, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. I love the scriptures because it points me to the one who makes us alive. And if you're in this room and and you haven't trusted Jesus, you don't know Jesus, you may know church, you may know church lingo, but do you know the one that the scriptures talk about? Do you know Jesus Christ, the one who dies on the cross for your sins, stands in your place, dies for you, and then presents you and accredits you with his own righteousness? Do you know that Jesus? My hope and prayer in our time as I end is that you would be challenged to devote your life more to the word. Don't just read it on Sunday mornings. Don't just read it when things go wrong and I need something to help me out. No, the scripture should be woven into your day. 
shouldn't be a day that you wake up and don't want to get into the word. Shouldn't be a day that the sun goes down and you haven't got yourself into the word. Not with all the Bible apps we got. I mean, you, you, here's the crazy thing. You don't even have to read the word anymore. You can put it on in your car and let it play. We should be devoting ourselves to the word. My hope and prayer is that you'd walk out of here and be like verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I love your word when things are going well and when things are not going well. Some of you need to confess in here. You need to confess that you've made more things a priority than the actual word itself. And leaders, uh, uh, those who volunteer, visitors, be honest. Many of you in this room need to confess that. It's too confusing. Peter talks about that. Remember, he says some of the things that Paul writes is confusing. You know the Bible's confusing when the Bible says it's confusing. <laughs> but this is why we come and gather ourselves on Sunday morning. This is why we have small groups to work through the sermon on Sunday. This is why we have Bible study every fourth Wednesday. We do that so that we can help you to be equipped with understanding the word. My prayer is that we would all walk away and love the word. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we confess that we don't always devote ourselves to the word. There are times where the word is far from us. It's not our first resort. There are times where the word doesn't even cross our mind. We'd rather call a friend. We'd rather complain. We'd rather post on social media than actually get into your word. Truth is, you did not promise that we would live a life that was exempt from hardships and trials. But when we have hardships and trials, when we enter the valley of the shadow of death, the best part about it is that you're with us. And we sense your closeness to us based on the word of God, based on what your word has to say. And so I pray this morning that each and every person that is under the sound of my voice would renew their priorities today and that we would make the word not just first because if it's first it's a check off the list and we can keep going with our day but we would make it central we'd make the word our day we'd go through life we wouldn't make a decision without consulting the word this person wants to marry me. What should I do? Well, what does the word say about it? Why should I take this job? Should I move away? Well, what does the word say about my life? There's nothing in our lives that the word doesn't impact. So would you help us? Would you give us discipline? We lack self-control and discipline. Would you give that to us this morning? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.